0: Revivals and open up to the book of 2 Corinthians. My goal is to, um, I wasn't sure about this, but my goal is to try and finish uh, the mini series, I guess you could call it, that I was preaching on Thursday evenings uh, tonight, uh, since I did not. Um, you know, I'm trying to take more after Bell and preach the whole Bible, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to do that in an hour. So, Sometimes you have to, you know, add on to or just extend. Okay, uh, so uh, Second Corinthians chapter number 2, we'll read one verse and then we'll pray and then uh, we'll jump back into where we left off. Not really much review since we were just here Thursday night, uh, so hopefully we haven't forgotten too much from Thursday night. Uh, So, First Corinthians, chapter number two, and verse number eleven, the Bible says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." And let us pray, dear Father, I pray you help us to learn, help us to grow, Father, from this immensely important truth, to not be ignorant of the devil's devices, Father. Help us to grow, help us to know our enemy, so we can be better used of you, so we will not fall to his traps. And fall into sin because of it. Help us, Lord, to take this seriously. Father, help us to grow. Help us to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh so yes, yeah, so on Thursday nights we've been going over the devices of the deadly devices that the devil has that he tries to use against us to try and hinder our ability, to try and hinder our, our power that God has for us. Because a Christian that does not have a good, strong relationship with the Lord, a Christian who is not following the Lord, a Christian who has sin in their life, is using that one verse of, they have a form of godliness, but is denied the power thereof. We have a form, we look good on the outside, but on the inside, as Jesus Christ said to uh, the Pharisees, he said, you're a whited sepulchers that are filled with dead men's bones, that's all you are. You look good on the outside. It looks great on the outside. You're all together. you got everything going for you. You know how to dress right. You know how to talk. You know how to look. But on the inside, it's, it's dead. It's dead men's bones. And that's what we look like, and that's what the devil tries to get us to do. Remember the two things the devil is always trying to get us to. His first two devices is doubt and then disbelief. That's the very first thing he used when in contact with mankind, with Eve. Yea, hath God said. That's the first thing that he brought up. That's the first thing he attacked with because the devil knows just as much as we should know from our Bibles that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we can begin to doubt and disbelieve who God is and lack our belief in what God can do and have faith in God, then the devil wins, and our power for the Lord and our ability to please God and and God's ability to use us and God's ability to give us blessings is all for naught. Because God, once again, I've said this many times, God does not force himself on us. The one place Jesus Christ was not able to do great and mighty works was in Nazareth, his own hometown. Why? The Bible specifically says in Matthew chapter 13, because of their unbelief, God will force you to make a decision, but God will not make that decision for you. He may bring circumstances in your life that force you to make a decision to follow him or not, but God will not force you to make that decision. So the devil is going to try and get you to go the other way. God allows things to come into your life so you can trust him more, so you can grow in him more so you have the ability to follow after and to be a stronger Christian because of it. I.e., look at Job. Job went through all those trials, went through all those things, went through all those horrific events in his life, and at the end of it, Job was better for it. Job didn't look back on it and say, Oh, woe is me, the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly, bitterly with me, as Naomi would say. Uh, no, he stuck to it. And even at the end, Job would pray for forgiveness for his friends. Right. The ones that had spent so much of their time, while Job was in the worst place a human can be, degrading Job, accusing Job, not being a friend of Job, and God gave Job the option. And God told his friends, he said, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to tell Job that if he wants to ask for your forgiveness, he can. And if he asks, then I'll forgive you. But if he doesn't, then I won't. What if God put you in that scenario? Don't even worry about everything Job went through. Just, Just if God put you in that scenario, then add in everything Job went through. And then put yourself in that scenario. I I, I think many of us are a far cry short from what we think of ourselves. You see, because once again, difficult times produce and show forth what truly is on the inside. Uh, The the old adage, what do you get when you squeeze a lemon? Well, you'd think lemon juice, but the truth is whatever is inside. Because you can take a syringe, remove the lemon juice, and put something else in there. But when you squeeze something, whatever is inside will come out. So when the Christian is under pressure, when a person is under pressure and being squeezed, whatever's on the inside, whoever you truly are, the hidden man of the heart, that will come out. That will come to fruition. So do not allow yourself to be caught up in the devil's devices because it will rot you from the inside out. And therefore, it will be shown in due time who you truly are. So let us pick up from where we left off. Last time we left off with the devil's device of deceit. We talked about Jacob, the trickster. So many things that happened in Jacob's life that he could have foregone. He could have gone over. So much heartache that was in his life. Once again, the heartache of heartaches was his own sons deceiving him about Joseph, and the audacity of the way they come about it—they take they take Joseph's coat of many colors that they hate and they despise. They tear it up. They kill a goat. They dip it. They dip. Uh, they dip the torn coat in the goat's blood, and then they have the audacity to go to their father and say, "Is this your son's coat? We found it on our way back." And we picked it up and thought, oh, that kind of looks like Joseph's coat. Maybe we should ask Dad about that. And so they purposely deceived their father. See, they didn't lie to him. They didn't say, oh, yeah, uh, you know, Joseph is dead. We saw him get killed. They never said that. See, they never lied. But that's the thing with deceit. Deceit is much more malicious than just a lie. Deceit is, my hands are clean. I didn't say that technically. Oh, okay. Good for you. I hope it makes you sleep better at night. So we looked at deceit. But you see, when you fall for deceit, you forget Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. So when you deceive, the person you are ultimately deceiving is you. You are the fool in your own game. Well, let's move on. What's the next device that the devil desires to trip us up with? What's the next device the devil is trying to use against us? Remember, he's ultimately trying to get us to the place of doubt and disbelief. So we have no power and no ability to be used of God. That's where he's trying to get us to. The next thing we see here is dullness. Dullness means sleepiness to the things of God. We're using this word dullness. It's just become dull. It's become gray. Ah, It's just dull. It's not sharp, it's not vivid, it's not what it used to be, it's just, it's worn down, it's not as, as big of a deal as it once was. You see, the recipients of the letter of Hebrews were guilty of this device. They had allowed this device to, to take hold in their lives. Hebrews chapter 5, let's go there, Hebrews chapter 5. We'll read a few verses to show our point here about the dullness that had set in to the people of the, to the recipients of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number five. Because of their dullness, they were in a state of not being able to be used of the Lord. Once again, as we talked about this morning, God can use and God will use any man except for the lazy man. Because he can't be used. He won't do anything. It's not God doesn't want to use him. He can't be used. God will give him an opportunity, but he's so lazy, he's just Oh, it's too far away. Okay. That's the lazy man. Remember, the slothful man. This is an excuse. I can't go outside. Sorry, boss. I can't go to work. I don't know if you heard this. There's a lion in the streets. And I know he wants to nibble on my toes. So I'm not going outside. I can't go because there's a lion in the streets. The the, the crazy things lazy people will come up with. Lazy people are often the most creative. And lazy people often, lazy people will often do more work to get out of work. If they just did the work in the first place, they would already be done and life would be good. Oftentimes, a lazy person is causing themselves more work and more trouble because they're so lazy. Anyways... Uh, This is not laziness. This is dullness. Uh, Just, you know. (laughs) Rabbit. Okay. Hebrews 5, chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 12. The Bible says, For when, for the time, ye ought to be teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So he says, Look, th- by the time that you all are at in your Christian growth in your tr- Christian life, you all should be teachers. This is what the apostle this is what the, the uh the writer of the letter is saying, most likely the apostle Paul. He's saying, for how long you've been saved, for how long you've been in church, for how long you've allowed God to have access to your life, you should be the ones teaching others also. He said, but As opposed to that, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. He's not saying you need another teacher of the deep things of God, of the mysteries of God. He says, no, you need a teacher again of the first principles, the ABCs, you could say, of the Christian life, the one plus one equals two of the Christian life the first principles, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Obviously, a newborn child, I don't feed them actual food. It won't go well. Why? Their intestinal tract, their digestive abilities are not ready for that. They're not strong enough for that you'll cause them immense pain and immense problems because their body is not ready for that strong meat. They're not able to break down and to digest such strong fibers yet. They need milk, very easy to digest, very easy to break down, no problems. It's just easy. The same thing is true of Christians. When you're first saved, you're not really ready for pre-tribulation and, uh, you know, all these different things. And, oh, okay, uh, I have no idea what you said. Okay, they're not ready for that. They need the ABCs, the one plus ones, equal two. Just like a child. Okay, in our Christian school, our kindergarten class, we do not teach calculus. Sorry to break the news to you. Even in our seniors, we don't teach calculus. In fact, we're still working on the ABC. No, okay. Power is a dangerous thing. strong meat. These are Christians that should be able to teach, that should have enough knowledge to teach those that are behind them, to teach the new Christians, but they are in the same boat as the new Christians. They are ignorant, they are unlearned, and they're just like a baby. They need someone to take care of them. They need someone to feed them. And you have to be careful what you feed them, because if you don't feed them the right thing, it's going to be a problem. And they're going to have real bad stomach aches, and it's not going to be a good time. Verse 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. So the Apostle Paul is trying to make sure we understand the analogy. He's trying to make sure I'm not giving you a compliment. I'm not saying, good job, guys, you're like a child. I'm not saying like that, where Jesus Christ was saying, suffer the little children, and if he would be like a child. That's not what the apostle Paul is trying to say, and he's trying to make sure they understand. I'm not complimenting you. I am trying to get you to understand. You are not where you are supposed to be. If you need milk, the milk of the word, that means you are unskillful in righteousness, meaning you can't read your Bible on your own and understand meaning you can't look at a problem or a situation and understand the difference of this is good, this is bad. You're just like a baby. You need someone to feed you. You need someone to take care of you. You need someone to clean you up because you are unable to do it yourself. So this is quite the indictment. Verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by, reasons of their, uh, re, uh, by reason of use have their senses exercised, notice, to discern both good and evil. I think of the prudent man. The uh, proverb says about the prudent man, the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. See, the prudent man discerns. He can look at a situation and say, that is not going to go well. I can see there's a problem. I can see there's an issue. So I'm going to stay on back because I'm not going to allow that to ruin my reputation. I'm not going to allow that to cause a problem. But if you're a babe, if you are simple, if you're still on the milk of the word, then you do not have the ability. That's what the Apostle Paul says. That's what the book of Hebrews says. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses, their ability to discern, to see, to take in information and digest it and produce, is it good or is it evil? When you are dull, when the things of God, when the things of the church have become dull to you, you have fallen into this problem of you are degrading and falling back. You are not taking in everything that you should take in. Dullness was also plaguing the church at Corinth, probably even more the next one. First Corinthians chapter three, verses one through the the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. So he said once again to them, he says, look, I fed you milk, and I still can't feed you meat. I still have to feed you milk. Why? For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal as walk as men? He said, look, when you're acting like this, these are signs that you are carnal. These are signs that you are acting like a child. You are acting like a baby. When you fall to the device of dullness, we have forgotten Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We should all still be there. Verse 11, the Bible says, of whom we, may, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. How, how, do they, how does verses 12 and 14 happen? How does it happen that I should be teaching and I should be eating the meat of the word, the strong meat of the word? I should be able to discern between good and evil. Well, the the book of Hebrews says very clearly, because ye have become dull of hearing. The things of God have just become dull to you. They're not as sharp. They're not as vivid as they once were. It's It's just dull. I fear many of us have onset dullness in our Christian life. Oh, oh, oh we, we'll be where we're supposed to be. We'll do what we're supposed to do, but it's just becoming a little dull. We're lacking to see the wow of God. God no longer wows us because we've gotten mundane. You know, there's a really true statement. I told this to the teenagers a lot. A person who always says things are boring, no matter the situation, you are a boring person. (laughs) It's not everyone else around you is boring. You are the boring person. Everyone can be having a great time. You are boring. (laughs) Dullness. If you do not uproot dullness, it leads right into the next device. Dullness leads to deadness. Deadness. You see, dullness is when I become sleepy, the things of God become black, it becomes gray, it's not as vivid, it's not as sharp. And if it's not taken care of, that dullness will begin to become to deadness. It just no longer is uh, anything to you. You see, when this happens, this is the the, the accusation of the Sardis church in chapter 3, verse 1. The accusation is, I know thy works, that thou has a name that thou livest, and art dead. He said, I know your works, I know your name, but you're dead. You are dead. How many, if they truly face the person they see in the mirror, would have the dead carcass of a Christian staring back at them? Oh, oh, my heart's beating and and, and everything's good. My brain works. Maybe. uh, My my lungs are breathing. All that's good. But what about the spiritual man? What about the hidden man of the heart? If we could get the spiritual mirror out, Is it just dead men's bones staring back at us? The only reason, if you are dead, if you are suffering from the devil's device of deadness, the only reason why you're not gone yet, well, I'm in church, so I must not be dead. Uh, no. The only reason why you're actually not totally gone is because you have the thought of, I have to, I know what's right, or pastor, the staff, my friends, my family. If I run into them out in public, then I'll have to answer questions or I'll have to try and hide behind the toilet paper in Walmart. I'll have to become a ninja and try and super sleuth my way out of there. You're just a dead man walking. That's what you are. You have become so deadened that you truly do not care and you're just keeping a facade. It's all an act. You put your mask on before you go into church. Ah, oh, Everything's great. But once again, you look good on the outside, but truly you are full of dead men's bones. Your dullness was not taken care of. You let things of God become dull to you. You let serving the Lord become a dullness to you. You let it become a burden to you. You started looking at others and saying, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? See, that's the problem. As our Sunday school morning, uh, Sunday school lesson this morning, we're talking about Mary and Martha. That was Martha's problem. Martha had early onset dullness. She was getting too worried about what everyone else was doing because she forgot why she was doing it. Why do we do this? We do this because I get to. I get to use my life. That was a sinful rep. That's not even better than a worm. I get to use my life to serve the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. I get to do that. So who cares if I'm by myself? It's worth it all. But if you don't combat the dullness, you become dead. And you're just a dead man walking. That's it. That's all you are, and that's all you're good for. Unless you allow God to quicken you. But you have He quickened. (coughs) Quickened means to be brought back to life. Now, that's specifically talking about when you were lost and you became saved. But we can become carnal, meaning. acting and living just like I was not saved again. So just as we become carnal, we can bring ourselves back to where we should be. But once again, remember the devil's devices are always trying to get you to doubt and disbelief. Because when I get to the place of deadness, you are teetering and playing with fire. You're walking on a tightrope that if you slip, whew, I mean, some of the most crazy and liberal and wicked people of this world were some of the best, most well-dressed, some of even the best and most godly Christians of yesterday. You'll find most people that go out of church, a lot of times, they go way up there. They go into the deep, deep end. Because... No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm done with it. It's all a lie. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. The deadness. The next one. Defaming. How many times have you heard churches, church members, and Christians criticizing, belittling, other churches other members and other christians you see when when we allow that to happen you forget a very basic principle that Jesus Christ said Jesus Christ said in John chapter 13 verse number 35 he said by this by this one thing by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples that you are the ones that are following after me or you could say in our modern terms by this shall all men know that you are a Christian that you bear my name what is it how is everyone going to know that I'm a Christian that I love God and he says if ye have love One to another. So, what we're saying when we're backbiting and criticizing and belittling other Christians, other churches, other church members in the same congregation, doesn't matter what it is. You're saying, I don't want people to know that I'm a Christian. I don't want to have an influence for God. See, we're not. See, this is the thing that 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 we don't understand. That's not clicking inside your head when you get to the place of defaming. You're no longer just hurting yourself. You see, because that's what we often think is it's, it's a victimless crime. That's the things we love to say. It's hurting nobody but me. You see, but Jesus Christ said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, even if you have a love for one for another. But if I go around telling people, I'm from the Anchor Baptist Church, and then they hear me talking garbage about those that go to the Anchor Baptist Church or other Christians or other churches and causing problems and going to social media and plastering all over Facebook. I guess being a Christian isn't all it's cracked up to be. I wonder in our day of social media, how many people will go to hell because of the pathetic testimony of well to do, I've got it all together Christians? Christian is a title bestowed, it's a title earned. Saved, yes. You don't earn salvation. But if you want to be very technical with it, a Christian is someone that is like the Christ. You are so like the Christ that you bear his name. Does it match in the mirror? We talked about it this morning. Do your hands remind you of the hands of the Savior? If not, then maybe we don't. Deserve that title of a Christian. Because remember, Christians didn't call themselves Christian. They didn't say, I'm like Jesus Christ. No, it was at first at Antioch. It was actually a slur. It was something that they, they used as a derogatory. It's like, oh, you're a, you're a little Christ. Just same thing with the Anabaptists. It wasn't something they called themselves. It was something that was a, a slur that they were trying to make fun of them about. But I imagine that they probably took it as a badge of honor. think? I remind you of the Messiah. But now, today, everybody's a Christian. I mean, if you have a good thought once in your life, you're a Christian. How much are looking for what we have. They're looking for a hope. But we're too preoccupied about being right and having more people in my corner. And because of it, those lost are going in other places. I'll check this other religion then. Or I'll just go to no religion. sad. Proverbs thirteen ten says, only by pride comes contention. So if there's ever contention, guarantee you one thing for sure, someone has pride. That's it. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to finagle your way out of it and dodge all the bullets. If there's contention, someone has pride. Someone says, I'm right, and I'm willing to die on this hill because of it. I'm willing to ruin friendships. I'm willing to defame the name of Christ because I'm right, and everyone needs to know it. Well, good for you. They, the lost world, are in need of us. what they get is us acting like warring, barbaric, savage tribes. Yeah. Just like the cliques that a, that Paul had to deal with. I, I am of Paul. I am of Peter. I am of Apollos. Good for you. Would you like a cookie with that as well? <laughs> you see, the lost and dying world those that Jesus was trying to teach. They have love one for another. We're supposed to be a family. The ideal family is one that loves and cares for another. See, in today's day and age, the not the ideal family, but the family you're going to get most of the time is a bunch of ravenous wolves always at each other's throats, and they can't stand the sight, smell, anything about each other, and they'll move to other parts of the world just so they don't have to see their siblings or parents ever again. That's what the world has. That's the best the world has to offer. So when a lost person sees a Christian, they should see nothing but hope, and I, I can get behind that. When a lost person sees your family, they should see a picture image of the ideal family God has in mind. Love for one another. The ideal family loves, cares, and looks for our, looks after each other. Do they have issues and problems? Once again, as I said this morning, no one is perfect. So if you're looking for the perfect person to, you know, find and be like, tough. You see, but a true family, not just one that bears the title, but one that truly earned the title of a family, is one that even when they have disagreements, even when they have issues, no one else knows about it. Why? Why? Because they deal with their business behind closed doors. They don't go over Facebook. They don't go all over social media saying, you won't believe what my brother did. You won't believe what my mom or dad said. No, you have a problem. You go back to your house. You go behind closed doors and you say, I don't understand. Let's figure it out. But that takes backbone. All of a sudden, once we hide behind this, whew, we become Richard the Lionheart and Ben. I'll say what is on my mind. Come on, come on. Uh, you're a coward. what yeah. you yeah. are. Amen. 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 <laughs> Psalm 101.5. Who so privily Means secretly or quietly or behind the back. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's just my personal opinion. Well, that's God's personal opinion. You want to have no usefulness? Not even for God in your life? Him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart, will not I suffer? I won't even bother with you. I won't give you the time of day. Defaming leads to discord. Not handled properly. I start talking about this person, they start talking about this person, and then all of a sudden, the church is in uproar. The family's in an uproar. The church of God's in an uproar. Discord. Yes. The result of defamation that's not handled properly. It's not handled the way that the Bible t- tells to handle when a brother has an ought against another. See, churches split and fall apart over discord yes. rather than doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. Churches don't split and fall apart and... and, and and go crazy because doctrine, no it's because of discord it's because someone thinks they know best and I'm not going to change I'm not going to move because I know what's right once again you want a cookie with that Uh, uh, what, what are you accomplishing seriously you want a pat on the back you want a gold star sticker? I mean, we got it all. We got a school. We'll give you all the things you want. Some troublemaker begins his or her deadly gossip in a local church, raising question and doubts in the minds of people, doubts that otherwise would have never been entertained, that never would have been thought of. But someone knows best, I have the best intentions. I am only saying this because I care about you. I wouldn't say anything if I didn't think there was something wrong. Right, yeah. Knife in the back. How effectively Satan uses the tool of discord and how painful and tragic it will be at the judgment seat of Christ for those Christians For those saved people. Once again, I said this morning. You will answer for every idle word. Not just actions. Not just the main theme of your life. Every idle word. Just the words you're saying in passing. Just for no good reason. Just to feel like saying it. Just in random small talk. You're going to answer for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't think God is going to ask you, Jesus Christ is going to confront you about your problem with sowing discord among the brethren, about slandering your neighbor. That, that's going to be a mainstay. Come on. Come on. And that's going to be tragic for you. Yeah, no, yeah, no, sir. Because your life work is going to be burned in front of you, and what's going to be left is a pile of ash. There will be no gold. There will be no crowns. There will be no jewels to cast at Jesus' feet to say, you gave me everything, and I'm going to give you as much back as I can. There will be nothing to give back. Because of your discord. Because you sow discord. And God has no patience. because remember Proverbs 6. Chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue, at the end of the list. And he that selleth discord among the brethren. God says, it makes me sick. It makes me want to puke. I've done everything for you. Lower than a worm and I gave you everything. I brought you back to life when all you had to look forward to was eternal damnation. I gave you life. And the best you can do is cause problems in the church that I instituted. Oh, I know best. I'm sure you do. Tell Jesus Christ about it. At the judgment seat. I'm sure he'll appreciate your Once again, we find another one of the devil's devices in the short list of things that God says, I hate these, yay, let's say that again, these are abomination. These disgust me. I find them detestable amongst everything. Defilement. Defilement is the next device the devil uses against us. What's defilement? This is entanglement with sin and iniquity in the world. I'm so entangled with the world. I'm so instaunched in my sin. It's beginning to rot you. It's defiling. Like a mold growing in a pile of food. You see, this happens when you're beyond the struggle and the daily battle. It's no longer a struggle for you with sin. You've just given up. It's not, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it. I want to do what's right. And you're trying and you're trying and you're trying. You may still hate it. You may detest it. But you've just given up. Your shoulders have dropped. Your head hang low. Because cannot control yourself. You've given in, and you just accepted it as a part of your life. Too often I think we give ourselves too much credit about how we're struggling. We we think, just because I don't like my sin, that, that, that means I'm struggling with it. No, that just means you know it's wrong. That means the Holy Spirit still lives inside of you, which is a good thing that you're still at least in tune with him enough that you can feel disgusted with yourself about it. But just because I feel disgusted does not mean I'm struggling. I can very easily feel disgusted and keep on going. Defiling. The defilement. You have given in, and you just don't care to fight it anymore. You may hate it. You may despise it. What's the use? Why fight it? I'm just going to lose anyway. That's the mentality of defilement. No matter your energy and desire, your yearning, your talent, doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how much fire you have for God. Doesn't matter how much talent you have. Doesn't matter how much you want to do for God. It does not matter if you are a defiled person. If you have sunk your teeth into the defilement, that the devil offers, you have no power. None of that matters if you are defiled with the world, the flesh and the devil. You have given up struggling, you have been conquered by your lusts and sinful desire. Many times those people caught up in a sin, hate it. They despise it. They hate what they do. They look in the mirror and they despise the person they They can't stand what they do. So why do they keep doing it? Because they've given in. They've given up. Do not fall for the lie, for the deceit, that as long as I don't like it, that means I'm still fighting it. It May mean that at least there's still a hope, but it doesn't mean you're still fighting it. It just means I don't like it, which is a good thing. It's a good thing to not like sin. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's a wrong thing to not like your sin that you're doing. That's a good sign. That's a sign that you're not totally gone yet. Because believe me, there are saved people Mm -hmm. who really don't care. They really don't care. You want to talk about hard-hearted, stiff-necked people? Ooh. You can find them. Oftentimes, those people are still in church. Many times, those caught up in sin hate what they do and desire to serve and please God. They still do, they're still hating their sin. They still want to please God, they still want to serve God, but they are defiled and they will not get the victory. They gave into the battle and were conquered and they get defeated day after day after day so what's the difference the difference is the just man falls seven times yet rises up again the conquered man falls down and he just rolls around has a pity party i hate this i'm filthy i'm disgusting but he's just not willing to get up again his hands hang low His head is hung in defeat. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, What? Know ye not, ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? God says, I gave you life you belong to me, my Holy Spirit indwells you. You have become the temple of God. I have brought you to life. Do not defile the temple. The Bible says in another place when we sin willfully, even when we sin at all, but especially when we're sinning willfully, even though we hate it, even though we don't want anything to do it anymore, but we still just keep on doing it. The Bible says we're God made a promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that even means when I'm on my electronic devices looking up wickedness, when I'm playing things in my mind, when I'm watching things I shouldn't, when I'm reading things I shouldn't, guess who's right there along with you? The Holy Spirit. Him. You see, God will not force himself on you, yeah. but we'll force ourselves on the yeah. Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on. We'll hog tie him, throw him in a room underneath the stairs, because I want to live in my life the way I want to. I don't feel good about it, but I just can't get the victory over it. You've become defiled. You see, God wants to use you. If God didn't want to use you, you wouldn't be alive. End of story. So the very fact that you are still breathing air means God says, I can still use you. I still want to use you. I still have a purpose for you. So that should be an umption to you to say, you know what? I've fallen and I've fallen and I've fallen, but I'm not going to fall again. And even if I do, because I will, I'm going to get back up again. You see, because too often we fall and then we just fall into a pity party. I'm just so wicked. I'm just so wrong. And yes, you are. That is true. But get up again and keep going. What's the problem? We wallow and wallow too much. The Bible doesn't say the just man falleth and has a pity party. And then eventually he'll get up again. No, he falls and he rises up again. I shouldn't have done it. I messed up. I'm going at it again. Seven times. Okay? So don't get this unreal picture that one day, I'll be a saint. And I'll never do anything wrong ever again. Well, as long as there's blood pumping through your heart and air is going through your lungs and things are happening in your brain, that's not going to happen. So, what am I supposed to do? Learn to rise up again. Not to wallow in self pity. Oh, I failed again. Oh, I failed again. Yes, it's true. But get up. Get up and get back in the battle. That's how you get the victory by putting one foot in front of the other. You see, we fail. And we begin to defile ourselves when we fall down in the miry pit. And we just sit there. Because I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I hope you didn't want to do it. But I hope you want to get up and keep going. Untangle yourself from defilement. So God can use you again. God says, I want to use you. I still have a purpose for you. But I can't. You're hindering me. Untangle yourself. And let's go again. Get up out of the clay. Get up out of the mire. And let's keep going. God's right there. He's just waiting for you to get up. Once again, God will not force himself on you. He's not going to pick you up and slam you on your feet and say, let's go, buddy. He's not going to do that. He's going to reach his hand out and say, whenever you're ready, I'm ready to go too. Discontent. Samson had this problem. So did Solomon. They were discontent. Their eyes were never satisfied. Samson was always searching. The empty pit of the man's eyes can never be filled. One of Satan's favorite lies to tell people that things will be better if they go elsewhere And two of the biggest things that people fall for in the area of discontentment, that if I go somewhere else, it will be better, is, first and foremost, marriage. The only reason why divorce rates are not as high as they should be is because people just don't get married anymore. Because it's, uh, you know, whatever they call it. I don't know. Or... And slash or change churches. They just don't understand you. You need to find a place where they understand you. Okay. You see, people always complain. There'll always be something to complain about. Hebrews 13, 5 says, be content with such things as ye have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God says, I gave you a promise, and so it shouldn't matter if you don't even have a cardboard box to hold over your head. It shouldn't even matter, because God said, I'm going to be with you, and I'm never going to leave. 1 Timothy 6, 8 says, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. What else could we ask for? got food, I've got clothes. I don't need anything else. Philippians 4.11 I have learned in what service state I am therewith to be content. The Apostle Paul would be an authority on the subject. You can go to the book of 1 Corinthians and read all of his things that happened to him. And And this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. This happened, and this happened a couple times, and this happened, and this happened. He's writing the book of Philippians close to the end of his life. So when he's saying, I have learned in what sort of state I am, this isn't like the green Apostle Paul when his name just got changed and everything's just starting out. No, this is the Apostle Paul that's nigh to death's door, and he's telling these Christians, look, I've been through a lot, and they know, and I've learned. Whether I'm in the middle of the sea holding on to a broken piece of board or whether I'm at a church with a bunch of converts and friends having a good time of fellowship. doesn't matter where I'm at. I have learned I'm good. You see, the content person, I know this is pretty simple, the content person will not be discontented. Meaning they won't be looking with the greener grass because the grass they have it's good enough for them. I'm fine with it. I'm happy. I'm content. This is what God thinks I need, so this is all I need. You see, because the contented person isn't looking for a nicer church. The contented person says, man, I've got a great church that I'm at. The contented person knows how to say, I trust God. You see, because the discontented person says, ooh, God didn't get it right on the first try, so let me see if I can do better. That's what you're saying as a discontented person. I don't think God did a good enough job, so I'm going to do a better one for him. Right, yeah. Be thankful and forsake discontentment. Otherwise, you'll become a shriveled, old, miserly, nasty person. Discontented people are not fun to be around. They always have something to complain about. They always have something that's wrong. They're always looking for something better so they can go mess it up. Because if I'm not happy... Ten virgins is a perfect example of this. Matthew 25, 1 through 12. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to the ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Ooh, that's a harsh word. Hmm. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried while he waited, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, and uh, "and go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so. Lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And they're saying, Look, I didn't bring enough for you and me. I brought enough for me, because that's what I was supposed to do. And while they went out, went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other version saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Procrastination, the device of delay. The devil wins every time you say, I'll just do it a little bit later. Uh, I'll talk to that person later about going to church. I'll talk to that person later about, about being saved. I'll talk to that person later about this or that. Or I'll help that person later on when I think they need more help. You see, two things people mainly delay. And first and foremost is salvation. Most people will delay salvation. Because it's natural. The natural flesh doesn't want to do what's right. They do not want to capitulate to God. They do not want to subservient themselves. They want to be the master of their own life. So many people will delay in salvation. But where Christians, where saved people will delay, is in service to God. I'll serve God when I'm ready. I'll serve God after I've made a a living for myself. I'll serve God when when I'm able to. God understands. Now the Bible says, serve thy creator in the days of thy... Youth, that thy days may be full. See, God understands youthfulness is a gift. And it's not to be used on yourself. It's to be used for the Lord. And when we delay, every time we delay, the devil wins. Every time we delay, the devil wins. Every time we delay and say, you know what, I'll take a Sunday school class later. I'll tell that person about Jesus later. I'll work on a bus route later. I'll come to church faithfully later. I'll get involved later. Well, later is eventually going to be 95 years old. Pray tell. What do you think you're going to do for God at 95 years old? Ask those that have gone on before that now their physical body cannot keep up with their desire. They can pray, and they should, and they should. But if you were to ask them if they could still go out and do physically, physically, But you see, life changes sometimes. There's seasons of life. That's why God says, in the days of thy youth. Because God wants you when you have strength, when you have ability. Because when you get older, God will use, as the Bible says, the home head The one that's gray and white. It's a crown of honor because they have knowledge and wisdom their body is not as strong as it once was. So now, they are the ones that are going to lead the younger ones. Because the younger ones have strength, they have veracity, they have ability, and so they need someone to help corral that strength. But if you delay, when you become the gray-haired one, you will not have the wisdom and knowledge to bestow on the younger. And you'll be like church written to the in Hebrews, ye ought to be teachers, but you can only take milk. You ought to be giving others milk, but you need to be taking care of yourself. Delay, delay, delay. Psalm 119.60 says, I made haste and delayed not to keep my commandments. I'm not going to delay to keep the commandments of the Lord. Because if you do, you are doing yourself and everyone around you a great disservice. Imagine if God were to treat you that way. I'll get around to keeping my promises tomorrow. Sound good? I'll be with you tomorrow. I'll make sure you have food, raiment, and a shelter over your head. I'll get around to it tomorrow. How's that sound? Does that sound good? When I have time, I'll make sure that that you're not sleeping in a gutter and that you actually have food. I'll I'll get around to it eventually. Uh, Don't worry, I promise, I'll be there. And when it works on my time. Oh, of course that wouldn't work, but we have no problem doing that to God. Oh, I see. What about disobedience? There are two famous men in the Bible. Both of them have the name of Saul. One Saul was, well, actually, sorry, both Sauls were from the tribe of Benjamin, both of them. One Saul was very tall and impressive and powerful. One Saul was probably short and probably not that impressive of a man. The Old Testament Saul, the tall, the impressive, the strong one, he began as God's friend. He began as God's anointed, but ended as God's enemy. The New Testament Saul, the short, unimpressive one, began as God's enemy, but ended as God's friend. The Old Testament Saul, at death's door, went to the witch of Endor. The New Testament Saul, at death's door, turned to the word comforted others also in his time of need. What's the difference? What made the difference between these two men? The Old Testament Saul was disobedient. The New Testament Saul was obedient. The New Testament Saul said, there is nothing I will not do. The Old Testament Saul said, there are things that I will not do. I'm drawing a line God, if He want me to do it, too bad. Because I'm going to do it the way that I think is best. Samuel had to tell Saul, God has rejected you from being king because of your disobedience. Saul's beginning was so good. began to believe his own press. I've got it all together. I'm a pretty great guy. How far he fell. In the book of Romans it says, being made free from sin, he became servants of righteousness. What does a servant do? A servant does what they are told. I need you to do this, of course. That's their job. That's the job of a servant. The job of a servant is to serve, to do what they are told. So we are not—we are made free from sin, so you can have a great life. You can have a great life, but no, that's not why you're made free from sin. We are made free from sin for what? So that ye become servants of righteousness. So that we become obedient servants of God. What sin or command of God have you swept under the rug? And have convinced yourself it's no big deal. No big deal. It's just my little thing. God God God's not too worried about it. It's just me, just a little old me. I'm not hurting anybody. Uh-huh. Obedience is paramount to the Lord. A child needs to learn obedience. When they grow older, they'll get the understanding. You see, we've flipped it around. We're sitting here trying to have adult conversations with two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds when all they need to know is do and don't. I don't need to understand why I don't just run out into the street. You see, because if I understand, I'd probably run out into the street probably don't have very long to understand, maybe for like half a second, then guess what, don't understand anymore. See, true understanding is the fruit of obedience. Understanding comes best when it's brought about by obedience. Children that are trained properly and will obey without needing to ask why or have an adult discussion so they can understand. We'll find it much easier to obey God when it doesn't make sense. You see, that's why the Bible says turn up a child in the way they should go. Why, what, what should a child do? Obey. You see, because if you learn to obey when things don't make sense as a child, when you're an adult and God tells you to do something that doesn't make sense as an adult, no problem. You see, but we're training a generation that they think they know best and they think they should ask questions. Question everything. you're told. If God wants you to understand, hold on. He'll help you understand. If he doesn't, tough. Get over it. Why is it so important to understand? Why? Because You see, when you get the idea out of your head that you're important, understanding isn't that important anymore. You see, an army is powerful and strong when those that are underneath learn, I don't question, I do. I don't think, I do. The job of a soldier is not to think. The job of a soldier is to do. It's a dangerous thing when soldiers start thinking, should I do this? Is this the right thing to do? Yes, you should. Everything has a purpose. Disobedience will destroy you. Because if you don't learn how to obey as a child, you won't know how to obey as an adult. And therefore, God cannot use you because you're too busy sitting back saying, but why? I don't understand why God wants me to tithe and give offerings. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> okay, good for you. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Uh, okay. You want to call Oprah or something? Like, is it going to make you feel better. are so consumed with me I'm so important I have to know what's going on devastation the devil used the device of devastation you don't you doubt that look at Job that's the first thing the devil went to with Job God said Job's uh, the devil said to God he said look Job only believes and trusts in you because you've been so good to him. You've blessed him so much. And God said, okay, take it away. You just can't touch Job. And so the devil, dead. And then the devil came back and said, well, it's also because you, you kept him in good health. And he said, okay, take his health away. You can't take his life, but take his health away. Devastation. The devil doesn't play fair. The devil won't play fair. The devil is going to try every trick in the book, every backstabbing technique to try and get you to doubt and disbelief in God. He will devastate your life. The problem is many Christians believe devastation means that God does not care. I think God cared about Job. But you see, God knew he could trust Job. So when hard times come, I would take it as a badge of honor that God thinks I'm ready to go to the next level, that God thinks I can help somebody else because of this hard time. Remember, you know, we talked about disappointment. Disappointment is the appointment of God for me to grow. It's a setback. It's a letdown. Oh, yeah, it is, but it's something God can use to help me to get to the and lastly, there are many more, but for us, debt. Do not be so naive that the devil does not have a device that once again is used against us in a seeming unsinful way. Debt is handcuffs on you and your ability to... To serve the Lord in ways that he has blessed you. I would give more. But I have to pay for this and that and that and this and that and this and that. Oh, and this and that. So God, you're left with um, three pennies. And the devil says, got him again. Not even wicked and sinful things. Sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're even right things. But the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. God will take care of you when the time has come. Steer clear of debt. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no man anything. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor. And the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt is dangerous. You see, because when we have debt, we begin to become vulnerable to evil things. Of excuse making. Of chasing after more money. Of substituting spiritual time for monetary time. I I have to get more money. I'm bound up. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. And God says... As Pastor Bell says, oftentimes we are way too busy, much more busy than God ever intended. And many times it's because we've become servant to the almighty wallet. The unfaithful steward. Be a wise steward. The devil knows money is a weakness to everyone. People say, oh, money doesn't matter to me. Now, some people, money means more to them, but money means something to everybody. And the devil knows, if nothing else, if I can get them in debt, their ability and usefulness for God will be greatly limited. They won't be able to give as much. They won't be able to give as much money, time, influence, because they don't have the money. They don't have the time because they have to work more. They don't have the influence because they're so tired with the time that they do have because of all the time they spent working and all the the brain cells that they're using trying to figure out how to pay their debt. And the devil sits back, and he doesn't have to do anything after that point. You've made your own casket. You've dug your own grave. That's the damaging thing with debt, is it's self-inflicted. And you're doing it to yourself. The devil just sits back and laughs. Know your enemy, or your enemy will destroy you. Once again, when we first talked about this, we talked about the Trojan horse. If the people of Troy were not ignorant of the fact that the Trojan horse was a trap, I don't think they were going to bring it into their city. But they were ignorant of the fact that the Greeks had a special plan. Yeah. Remember, Sun Tzu said, the general that's in his home making calculations way before the battle starts, he's the one that's going to win. Yeah. Because he's preparing. Yeah. If we're just going to walk through life willy-nilly, not and without a care in the world, you are Easy pickings for the devil. You're just waltzing through, skipping through a minefield of all the devil's devices. And it's only by God's grace that he's protected you so far. But once again, as where we started today, you should be teachers, but you're the one that needs to be taught. Be not ignorant what the devil is using against you, because if you are, you will be destroyed. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray.